Hey, welcome to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a celebrity tailor, a wild mustang tamer, and an entrepreneur. I managed to take a Brother Project Runway Home sewing machine and built a six-figure sewing business that supports a life I love, and I hop behind the mic to show you that you can do the same thing too. I am documenting all of my experiences in building my own little honey empire, complete with mess ups and mistakes and experiments and celebrations so that you can shortcut to success faster. So you ready? Let's dive into the episode. Welcome back to Pull the Thread. I would like to take you on a quick little trip down the rabbit hole that I ventured down earlier this week in the moment that I googled what the most expensive red carpet looks were ever. And you know what's funny? What I actually found, yes, like they were astronomically priced. Like the most, like because now you're curious, <laughs> the most expensive look that's ever walked on the red carpet was Lady Gaga at the Academy Awards. She wore Alexander McQueen and Tiffany and & Co., and here's the thing though, her look was quoted at over 41 million, but the yellow diamond necklace that she wore that was historically also worn by Audrey Hepburn was already worth 40 million. So the dress itself was worth about a million or, or so that was the valuation of the look, right? So I start moving on up the list and the second most expensive Carrie Underwood at the Grammy, she's wearing Roberta Cavalli, and her dress look, it costs about $41 million as well, and that's including a 380-carat diamond necklace. So the valuation of that necklace also accounts for the majority of the value. Okay, so where's the value in the dresses? I'm just curious, right? So I'm going to keep on moving. Amy Adams in 2014 at the Golden Globe, she wears Valentino, and her red carpet look was $10.6 million. And they make sure to note that that includes her 30 carat diamond pennant and 10 carat diamond earrings. Now, personally, I remember doing a red carpet look and the amount of the amount of money of the necklaces that I held in one hand was like 250,000 per necklace per piece. Right. But that makes me wonder, like, what, what about the dress? Like, where's the value in the dress? You know, and I had to scroll down to like Jennifer Lawrence, where the majority of the value for her was in the actual dress. And it was because she was wearing Dior and that was a $5.3 million look. But there's no way, like there has to be some iconic dress that is worth the most. So onward through my rabbit hole, <laughs> I'm going from like, okay, the most expensive look going down a red carpet to, okay, but what's the most expensive dress in the world? Let me tell you, <laughs> the most expensive dress in the world is called the Nightingale. Ooh, right? Sultry. The Nightingale of Kuala Lumpur. And it was designed by Fasal Abdullah. She's a Malaysian designer. This dress was released in 2009 and it's valued at $30 million. It's made of crimson, silk, and taffeta, and it has over 750 real diamonds sewn into it from the Middle Eastern jeweler Mawad. Now, an interesting fact that is funny and sad at the same time is that if you Google Fasal Abdullah, you're not going to find anything. Not a website, not a wiki, nothing. <laughs> How on earth can the most expensive dress in the world be made by somebody who the internet says doesn't exist is beyond me. And instead of being annoyed at the fact that I cannot do a deep dive on this person and bring you all of the details, 
I'm going to instead point out that this should be an expander for us, that you cannot have a website and still make the most expensive $30 million dress in existence. Now, the next most valuable dresses in the world were for the most part made for Egyptian royalty, also a Spanish queen, but it just sort of gets my brain thinking about some things. Like having things made is really freaking expensive. Like there, I said it. Real talk, launching a small batch line of four designs often comes to a grand total of $7,000 to $10,000 post-COVID numbers. And let's remember, manufacturing is the last step of the process of bringing a fashion line out of a sketchbook and into a store. Now, in my experience in running a small batch manufacturer, about 30% of the total amount that I've seen designers spend usually goes to the R&D phase, the research and design, the patterning and the sampling and the tech packing and the pattern grading, simply turning your idea into a real design and then prepping it for manufacturing. And that phase takes months, sometimes years. <laughs> if you don't have your thoughts collected or the time to devote to the back and forth, like I've had the moment where it'll be like a four month waiting time period for somebody's sample, you know, for us to run it from when they say, Hey, I want to run a sample. We're like, cool. It's a four month wait. And they're like word. And they ship us the supplies and we crack it open. And we're like, Hey, you never shipped us what we asked. It's going to have to wait until you ship us more. Oh, okay. Well now we're booked this week. <laughs> it's going to have to wait another two weeks. And then uh, you send them a sample and then you take like four to six months to get feedback back to you of what to do. And it's like, okay, I'm putting you back in the queue again. We'll do another sample in four months, which will have been a year because you just took six months to get me notes. Like that's what happens if you don't have the time to devote to it. Um, and usually your thoughts are not as fresh as they were when it actually happened. Um, so you end up running more samples. That's just like, that's, that's what happens if you don't set the time aside. So what's the plan? <laughs> Major brands, they have the luxury of continuously putting out product, thus always having the cash flow rolling in to create even more product. But new fashion designers, where does that put you? Because you guys are just cobbling together your first launch. You're getting on TikTok and on Instagram and like praying after posting. Like you often get stuck between a rock and a hard place because of the scheduled downtime that manufacturing presents for your brand. And these days, most manufacturers want 100% payment up front before even breaking apart the pallets and cutting into your material. And while most designers come to the table knowing that it's going to cost, many are still ill-equipped to launch well, like after they've fronted the money to manufacture. So what do I mean by that? Launching well, to me, is recouping what it costs you to manufacture the product as well as recover what was spent in the ideation and the sampling and the design phases. So realistically, let's say you spent, I'm sorry, realistically, let's say you sell like 60% of your product at 150% markup and your R&D phase truly represents 30% of your total spend, then actually selling 60% of what you manufactured is your break-even point. So that's secret number one that I wish more aspiring fashion designers or new fashion designers knew is that you're going to have to sell about 60%. If you price it correctly or whatever correctly means, but like more like profitable, right? If you price it smart, you're going to have to sell 60% to be able to break even. 
So that already needs to be the number in your head. I have to sell 60%. That is secret number one that small batch manufacturers really wish that you new designers knew coming to the table. So I'm sure your thought is like, okay, Crystal, I'm just going to do that then. I'll just sell 60%. Listen, you might even do it better than that depending on your product and on your demographic and on your marketing, but it won't matter if you don't get that far because if you don't play your card strategically at launch, you may just blow it. <laughs> and I, I hate being negative, but the truth is I have seen many a launch <laughs> and regret is the one thing that you don't want to feel because there are no such things as do-overs when it comes to fashion lines. Once your idea is out in the world, it is out. You shot your shot. You don't get to announce things twice. At the moment that you launch, the clock is ticking. And every minute that your product is sitting on the proverbial online Shopify shelf is like a week of fashion time, which means in one month, your designs, even if it's slow fashion, even if it's capsule wardrobe, even if it's timeless pieces, after a month of it being out of the world, knowing that it exists, your designs, if they are not sold, are becoming cold and dead, and you're going to have to prepare to bury them six feet under in your closet somewhere. And you'll be wishing that you took some of my advice, my free advice to protect you from living that nightmare narrative. So here's my advice. This episode is all about launch secrets, baby. Now I've given you the first one, but let's dig in. Secret number two. What should you manufacture? How many should you manufacture? First of all, after having manufactured between three styles and 19 styles at one time, I can honestly and sincerely say manufacture four styles and no more than five. If the queue for your manufacturer is short, like you can get in and have stuff manufactured within the next month, three's fine, clutch, go for it. But if this is a, a, um, like a handshake deal, a contract deal with a manufacturer that you've not worked with in the past, that you don't have a personal relationship with, you're just now starting, I would sincerely encourage you to try to finance five styles. Try to get five of them manufactured because more overcomplicates the flow. Um, like I mentioned in the previous podcast, the more complicated you get with size breakouts and colorways and styles, the more likely the wheels will fall off at some point with your manufacturer. It's just too complicated. Manufacturers are more adept at taking on smaller runs these days and smaller, um, smaller line items like line sheets. Uh, the, the bigger the line sheet, the more stressful it seems, the more things that can go wrong, the more liability they have and that they're taking on just to sign on your project. So for that reason, I would highly encourage you to manufacture five styles, tops. And here's the kicker. <laughs> um, not only are you going to get better quality product and faster because the bigger the project, the more batching is involved. Like for instance, on the 20 garment run, you've got a dedicated full-time cutter for like two months straight. Um, on a five-star run, you could cut that in a week. Uh, and the more bulky each batch step gets, the more that manufacturer has to sort of design their workflow around you 
because certain things can't be happening in the air. It's crazy. Like, like I could not personally manufacture a French terry and a blue denim at the same time. Um, we had to reserve and block off time for like three months straight for one 20 style manufacturing run. And that trailed into literally month five because it was like sewing gummy bears. Like the fabric itself wanted to fight with us at every turn. It was so slow and like, yeah, is what it is. But, um, I've also seen textile dust gather in the air and collect on other surfaces and collect on other garments. And if your run is so bulky and so intense and so like just pivotal and in style upon style upon style upon colorway upon colorway upon crazy size range, um, the wider all of that gets, the chasm gets wider for mistakes as well. And bar tacks get missed and cuts get cut up, like fabric gets cut on the wrong side and crazy stuff that super talented people, you know, could be doing these steps, but the crazier your order gets, the more likely you are going to have to fine tooth comb all of your QCing. Um, so I highly recommend four styles, no more than five. And here's the thing. Secret number three, and I feel like I've talked about this before, at least like on a social media platform, maybe not in the podcast, but when you go to launch, you're going to learn more when you launch about your ideal customer, about your dream customer. You're going to learn what copy converts, what your caption should look like, what your product descriptions, which ones do best. You're going to learn what kind of product photography converts best um, for, for sales, for engagement, because they're going to be two different kinds. I'm telling you right now, certain posts and certain photos and certain copy and captions will stimulate sales and other captions and copy and posts and photos will stimulate engagement. And you have to learn how to strike the balance in between the two, how to walk that narrow bridge. And let me tell you something. When you launch, the lights are going to get flicked on for you, like full freaking blast, like ring light. And you're going to go, dang, I now know what to do. (laughs) I need a do over. And it's not that your initial launch is going to crash and you're not going to sell anything. No, you're going to sell. And that's what's teaching you. But that's the thing is the more that you put in the reps, the better at it you get, the stronger the muscle gets, the more confident you get in the way that you do the lift. And so you're like, dang, I want to do that again (laughs) and again and again and again. But here's the thing. What happens if it's a six month waiting list or a four month waiting list to get manufactured? What happens if things are coming from a slow boat and it's going to take a month and a half just on the boat alone after it gets manufactured, even if it's a smaller run, you've lost momentum. So here's why I suggest doing five styles is because when you do your initial launch, when you initially say, it's out guys, here you go. You share three designs and your three get to help you split test. So you learn how to A-B test using products versus you may have been A-B testing content in the past. (laughs) A-B testing product is a totally different game because on average, a person, like we're not talking about likes and comments, we're talking about cold hard cash here. So on average, the science says that a person has to see the same kind of post, the same information between seven and 21 times to be able to purchase, to get them to the path, like through the path to purchase, the path to purchase for buying products, passing over and exchanging money for stuff, as great as the stuff could be, is still between seven and 21 times. So if you are posting about your new collection three times and you're like, dang, I only had 10 sales or five sales or whatever, 
Yeah, because they need to see the repetition because they need to see it in front of their faces so many times. And here's the other side of that. People want to buy from brands that are going to have staying power. They're, they want to be first. Like they want to be first. They want to be in on it. People love legacy and they love heritage brands. I think I think heritage brands are highly underrated. And I think moving forward from like 2020 onward into 2025, I think heritage inspired brands are going to come like through the roof, like surge big time. So there's my hot take. Snuck Easter egg into this podcast. Write that down and we'll revisit it in 2025. But anyways, you will learn when you launch what works. And those people, your ideal audience has to see the post between seven and 21 times. But what if you're still learning how to communicate with your ideal audience? How many times do you have to post to be able to figure out exactly what to say and how to say it to motivate them to know and like and trust and freaking buy? A lot, (laughs) a lot of times. So don't give up. That's my like reminder to you that you are going to have to market the crap out of this thing. Don't give up on the home stretch. You need to keep knocking the ball out of the park between seven and 21 times before they start getting familiarized with your brand to know and to like and to trust it. An internet friend of mine has a brand where she sells these rompers and they're incredible. It's a brilliant idea because it's got pockets that could literally hold like cans of soda and I love it. Um, And she's gone viral like a couple different times. She uh, does them all in these really fun, comfortable, high quality prints. Um, Her name is Mama on Tap on TikTok. And you can literally like go to the bathroom without taking the entire romper off because of the brilliant cut that she has spent time in perfecting this pattern so that she can slide one leg through the other leg hole and just lift it up like a skirt, right? And that is brilliant. But here's the thing, in order for Sam to go viral, in order for a lot of people to see her product, I'm sure she feels like she's having to create the same video 600 different times in 400 different ways with different sounds and different bites and different filters and edits and everything. And yet the reality is only 4% of your people are seeing your post. That's the reality. Like if you're crushing it, 4% is the average. Okay. So you're having to make a lot, a lot, a lot of content to stimulate those sales and you feel like a broken record, but at the same time, quality comes from quantity. So you have to be sharing about this stuff nonstop in order to learn what your ideal audience likes and to get really good at making what they like. And by that point, most people have already launched all the product that they had manufactured. So what if you did things differently and you only launched three products and you got really freaking good at telling that story and really freaking good at speaking in a way that motivates your ideal customers to know and to like and to trust and to press add to cart. (laughs) And then you still had two more products left in the queue. Like you had two more amazing products in the hopper ready to launch a month down the road when you start to feel like your content is going stale and you start to run out of ideas of how to style things. What if all of a sudden to go along with the skirt that you launched, you now put out the bodysuit or you now put out the top and then you style them together. And now what have you done? You've just freshened up the skirt all over again and you have dynamic and contextual content to be putting out. That's different from everything else that you've been putting out. And yet it's consistent with the brand because you've now learned how to speak to your ideal audience and you don't have to have a four-month lead time waiting to get more product to try out your theory. So that's my secret number three. Launch three of the five products first. Don't launch everything that you just had manufactured. If you've had eight pieces manufactured, launch four. Launch three. 
I'm telling you, because what's going to happen is you can start to get in the flow of seasonal releases. And that's how you're starting to play with the big kids. That's how you're elevating your playground. Okay, number four, a secret that I really wish more people implemented because nothing grinds my gears worse than when we invest months, if not years, seriously, this has happened, in helping a fashion line come to fruition. We will help pattern and sample and adjust samples and patterns and then uh, grade the pattern and then help them source the most immaculate fabrics and notions and buttons and zippers and everything else. Like literally I have spent hours on the phone making sure that the right kind of zipper arrives in a custom dyed zipper tape with the right color of of brass, like like antique brass to come through that matches the snaps. Like I have invested months and months and months um, for designers to not say a single word until they go to launch. Like keep it all mom. Think that they need to keep it hush hush. Like it's not a record release. You don't you want to sell stuff? Like unless you're dropping your fashion line on Spotify, how about we start priming the pump a little bit, kids? Let's get on social media and let's start storytelling. Because what you don't have yet in these online platforms, what you don't have in these spaces, you're not an expert. You're a rookie. You're brand new to the table. You're not going to be an influencer if you're a rookie, okay? So do you know what rookies do best? They tell the story of the process to becoming. So you can't be a thought leader (laughs) if you've got an audience of 50 people. You can't be an expert if you have not been launching and launching and launching. Um, You can't be an influencer if you don't have millions of followers, it feels like sometimes. But do you know what that process looks like to go from rookie to expert or rookie to influencer? Like there's four different types of people that you can be on the internet, (laughs) The process looks like you telling your story. The process looks like you showing people a day in the life of trying to become a fashion designer. The process looks like you walking people through the pitfalls and the struggles of doing this and figuring it out and problem solving the exact right kind of fusible stabilizer inside of your bomber jacket or that time that you ordered too heavy of a fabric and now it looks like a laminated jacket. Like all of those things are hilarious if you document it. And you've got to be okay with taking yourself a little bit less seriously in order to appear human to the rest of the internet. All other people who are scrolling just looking for something human and normal and down to earth and authentic that they can truly resonate with. So that's my tip number four is that you've got to start connecting with your audience before you launch your product. Remember, people buy from people that they know, they like, and they trust. So you need to introduce your brand and serve your audience for months before you launch your line. Months, literally months, plural. Start storytelling. Start walking people through the process. Start sharing the aesthetic. Start creating like a a curated example of of the person you're trying to serve. Because you know what? You know what that looks like? You actually care about the person you're trying to serve. You can't fake that. Like you can't fake caring long-term, okay? Because if not, what's going to happen is you're going to be completely silent and then all of a sudden you're going to say, hi, we're a new clothing brand and we just launched our first line. Here you go. Look at us. Buy from us. 
Why? Why should anybody believe that you're going to be around for a second launch? You've not spent any time letting people get to know you and know your heart and know what you're about and know what's important to you and know what the ethos of the brand is and know what your mission is and know you know, where your head is at in succeeding, what success looks like to your brand, what success looks like for your customer so that you can start emanating that. So my fourth suggestion, my fourth secret is to introduce your brand and serve your audience for months before you ever launch your line. Now, if you need to understand what that looks like, there's so much content on the internet, but I can absolutely create another episode for you to help you diagnose how to speak and what to say when you're launching a line. I know that that's probably a bit of an overwhelming thought. Um, So yeah, I'll make that an episode later. But anyways, (laughs) secret number five, offer pre-orders before you sign your manufacturing contract with breakouts and colorways. Now, my reason for this is because I saw a designer that we worked with do this and they said, hey, uh, we're putting everything up for pre-order. We'll have final numbers for you soon, as well as colorways and breakouts, i.e. this many black of this size, this size, this size, and this size, um, this many white of this size, if that makes sense. Um, And so they said, we'll let you know ASAP. And within the first week of pre-orders, they built a skeleton manufacturing order off of their pre-order list. So they said, okay, we had a request for 50 size smalls and 100 mediums and 22 larges and 14 extra larges and seven extra, extra larges and nine extra, extra, extra larges. And so we're going to double the size of that order in pre-sales and that's going to be our manufacturing order. And you know what's funny is because of their markups, they were completely profitable by the time that they actually launched. So when they finished manufacturing and they got their product, everything that, like everything that they had invested, they'd already recouped because of their margins, because of rule number one, because of secret number one, because of the margins that they had chosen and the price of their product that they had strategically covered, they were able to pre-sell double the size of the order so that they walked away with product in hand in the box ready to ship when it sold and they'd already covered the entire cost of their manufacturing order doesn't that sound amazing to you like how peaceful is that (laughs) they literally only had to sell like an additional seven to ten garments to cover all of their research and design phase to cover their patterns their sampling their grading and everything and they still had product to be able to run ads and run content and do a serious marketing campaign around they still had plenty of product to do that with they weren't afraid of selling out and then being stuck in a rut no no they turned their clients into raving fans because what they did was they allowed their customers to be responsible to feel an investment, to feel invested in the story. Because from the start, they were the rookie and they story told all the way through. I'm telling you, like I'm not just making this stuff up as I go. I've been watching this for years. I've been watching and studying and taking notes and implementing and seeing what's duplicable and what's not. And I'm telling you guys, like these five secrets, these five facts, they freaking work. So yeah, the fifth thing that I would recommend that you do if you're going to launch a clothing line this year would be to offer up your product for pre-sale. 
And the way that you're going to go about that is when you go through the sampling process, you get your final sew-by sample. After you've sent it to the manufacturer and the manufacturer sends you your sew-by sample and then your manufacturing sample back and you say yes, then you get to keep your sew-by sample and then you can go do your photo shoot. So you do a couple photo shoots with your sew-by samples and now you've got all your website content. So while you're manufacturing, are you, what are you doing? Are you just hitting up your manufacturer and asking them again and again and again how it's going? Are you hounding them for photos and updates? No. Are you posting to socials, hashtag big things coming soon? No. <laughs> are you building your brand and mapping out a full marketing strategy that spans multiple platforms? F yes. Like test out ad strategies using mobile native and contextual creative and Post behind the scenes teasers, authenticating your brand and building anticipation. Heck yes, all of these things are a full-time job for you. And if you wait until you have the product in hand to start doing those photo shoots and mapping out social media captions and testing ad strategies, you will be delaying your launch by months. That is a whole season behind. All because you put down your shovel when your manufacturer was digging in a different area. So yeah. Let's, uh, let's go back to the content creation step that I just mentioned. Photo shoots. Okay. You're going to need more than one <laughs> to have good quality dynamic content. Why? It's because our brains tend to sh shut off imagery that we've seen before and photos of clothing are no exception. So if you share photos with the same background, same garments, styled in the same way, after your audience has seen that shoot at least once, they'll scroll right past it. Even if they like the product, they're going to scroll right past it. It's human nature. You're not only trying to convince people that you can create a great product, you're also trying to convince them to trust your brand. And that's going to take more than creating an Instagram and scheduling one shoot. Let's remember you're the rookie. You can't be the expert by simply posting photos of a photo shoot. You've got to story tell and show what you're learning and show the process that you're walking through to build that credibility. But yeah, it's human nature. So let's hack human nature. If you're prepping a clothing line for launch, while your product is being manufactured, I want you to start thinking right now of three settings, not including your product photo shoots, like with the white background, that you can plan separate photo shoots around. And it might be on the same day, fine, whatever. But then plan several options for styling that product differently in each of those settings. This is how we create contextual creative. And I'll do a whole episode on it later. I will teach you how to do this stuff it's a lot. It does feel like a lot if you're new to it, but it's going to become a muscle. You're going to flex it again and again and again, and it's going to get easier again and again and again. With these five tips, you should be able to launch debt-free on your line. And first of all, that's the most important thing to me as far as launching a line, uh, because I know that on average it takes a lot to recoup, especially if you didn't do the due diligence, like it's not field of dreams. People are not just going to like come to you when you build it. It doesn't work that way. You have to build a real brand before you launch. And so, yeah, that's the biggest thing to me is that when anybody launches a new foot fashion line, like I want them to not go into debt to do it. I want them to recoup at launch. Um, and in order to do that, you really, if you implement those five things, you're going to be on a much, much, much more positive path towards that. And on top of that, you create a brand with staying power and that's going to see you through to launch number two. And launch two is when you start to be a little bit more ambitious and adventurous in your choices. So to recap, as someone who owns a small batch manufacturer, 
who is actively trying not to do it anymore because <laughs> I want to do other stuff. <laughs> uh, five secrets that most fashion designers who are just now launching their first line don't know. Um, number one, don't ever manufacture more than five styles at a time. Number two, introduce your brand and serve your audience for months before you launch your line. Number three, breaking even is usually going to require selling at least 60% of what you've manufactured if you price it properly. Number four, I would offer pre-orders before you ever sign a manufacturing contract on breakouts. And number five, don't release everything that you just had manufactured on your very first launch. So I hope you got something out of that today. I cannot wait to bring the next episode to you because the next episode, I'm going to dive into detail about my new online course, which launches on March 18th called Project Fashion Forward. And it is for new aspiring fashion designers who may not know how to sew or pattern or sample or grade or manufacture themselves, but they have these beautiful, big, incredible, inspiring ideas inside of them. And they just need to know the lingo and they need to know how to get collaborators on board to help them achieve that dream. So I can't wait to share that with you next week on next week's episode of Pull the Thread. Talk soon.